This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 516 with Ray McDaniel. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 516. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, mamas. Happy February. I'm so excited to be kicking off another month with you. And this week, we have something special. We have two guests in one week. And today, we are going to be chatting with Ray McDaniel, our first non-binary guest. I'm so excited for you to listen in on this conversation. And then Wednesday, starting this Wednesday and every Wednesday in February, we will have a different black woman coming in to share different kinds of life experiences, but we're honoring black women this month during Black History Month. And so on Wednesday, Dana Parrish Dennis is going to come in and talk to us about being the only black woman in her med class. So Dana is a pediatrician, and I think you're going to love hearing her experience. You're going to learn a ton from her. You're going to be inspired by her drive and motivation and her wisdom for sure. So come back on Wednesday for that. And please stick with us every Wednesday during Black History Month for fantastic interviews with some shameless moms who are making big things happen in the world. Ray McDaniel is a gender and certified sex therapist and coach who works with folks feeling anxious and lost about a transition they're experiencing in sex, gender, sexual identity, or relationships. Ray also provides consultation and training for professionals and organizations wishing to uplevel their knowledge and expertise in these areas. 
Ray is the founder of Practical Audacity, a gender and sex therapy group practice in Chicago, and Genderfuck, the club, an online group coaching community designed to help transgender, non-binary, questioning folks transition with less suffering and more ease. Ray holds a Master of Education in Community Counseling from DePaul University in Chicago and is a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois. Ray and I met about a year and a half ago, I think, when we were part of a business community together, and we hit it off. We had a great time getting to know each other when we sat next to each other at a retreat for two days, and I have been wanting to ask Ray to be on the show, and when I finally asked, they said yes, and I'm so honored. This is the first non-binary person we've had on the show, so I'm excited for this conversation because I think there's going to be a lot of learning that happens for our audience. I think this is a really, really important conversation for so many reasons, and I'm just so grateful that Ray was open to having this conversation with me in a really transparent way. So listen in to hear Ray share their experience growing up adopted into a family of evangelical Christian missionary puppeteers. Yes, you heard that all correctly. (laughs) The evolution of their identity from bisexual to queer to non-binary. The relief of coming out as non-binary. Why not everyone in your life needs to know all the ins and outs of your identity and how you can prioritize your safety when coming out. Why they are having top surgery and how they came to this decision. And why they use they, them pronouns and why pronouns matter. And why it's inaccurate to refer to someone's pronouns as their quote, preferred pronouns. And lastly, Ray talks about how they are working to take the suffering out of transitioning for trans people. I know you're going to learn a lot in this episode, and I also think that your compassion and your empathy and your heart will expand for hearing perhaps a story that is not familiar to you, but a story that is maybe more familiar in different parts of your life than you might think. It's very likely that you have people in your life that are experiencing gender on a much wider spectrum than you might suspect. And if you don't know what that means, you're going to learn in this episode. So don't worry. And so the more we can hear stories around the way people experience gender, the way people express gender, the more we can be understanding and compassionate and empathetic and accepting of how people want to live their lives and how people want to show up as their most true and authentic selves. So I'm so honored to have Ray here. Please help me welcome Ray McDaniel to the Shameless Mom Academy. Ray, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm really excited to have you here today. I am so excited to join you. I think this has been in the works for what, a year and a half? (laughs) A while. When we first met, I think it was like the first time we met, I mentioned Like, I want you would come on my show. We need to figure out when we're going to do that, how that would make sense. And here we are. (laughs) Here we are. We did it. I know we did it. I'm so excited. So we met through a mastermind group we were in together. And you came, I had been in the group for a while. And you were like checking the group out. You were scoping the scene. And you sat next to me at a table for either a full day or a full weekend. And we got to hang out and get to know each other's businesses and a little bit beyond our businesses as well, which was really, really fun. But we had some really fun conversations that then continued over the course of a couple more retreats with this group. And this is how amazing relationships are formed in like these special situations where random people are just ended up sitting next to each other at a table. Yep, absolutely. That's what I love about masterminds like that is those connections, which they just happens really organically. It's nice. Yes. So you get to wear this hat slash crown, whatever you want it to be of being the first non-binary person on our show. So 
thank you for showing up for this conversation. And I want to say in advance, and I already let you know this, but this is good for the audience to know as well, for the my listeners to know, is that as we are talking things through, if I say something incorrect, inaccurate, insensitive, I definitely want you to point that out to me and in whatever way feels comfortable and appropriate for you, because I want to make sure that I know enough to do well and be supportive and be sensitive to people who are different than me and to people's experiences that I don't have experience with myself. So that's how we're going to start is that you have free reign to correct me and (laughs) tell me all the things in whatever way feels good to you as we dive into this conversation. Absolutely. I'm happy to provide any upgrades that need to happen. You are not expected to know everything. And this is the beautiful thing about building relationships with people who are really different than you is that you can say, hey, there's a lot of things I don't know about here, but I want to know more. Let's have a chat. Mm -hmm. I love it. Exactly. So tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. We're as we record this, we're closing the door on 2020 opening the door on 2021. Thank God. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) We made it. We did. Barely. Yes. Right. I love this question, first of all. So I think the biggest thing that's happening in my life right now is that I'm having top surgery at the end of the month, at the end of December. So that's a huge thing that I'm prepping for. So exciting. I am also working on a book proposal, which is a lifelong dream of mine, really getting started on that. Um, this month, really, in January. And then I think the last thing is just celebrating Christmas and the holidays with my new family. I bought a new house this year in the middle of the pandemic, which is exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Exciting and an adventure from what I recall. Yes, some adventures, some misadventures, all of the above. (laughs) And at the beginning of pandemic, my partner also moved in with me so we could quarantine together. And we got a puppy. So all of that together, it is a lot of newness. And I'm just excited to create our own traditions and have our little family holiday. Oh, my gosh, that's a lot of big things. I mean, I think anyone has had a lot of big things in 2020, right? But when you add like living with a partner, getting a puppy, buying a house, having a major surgery that's, you know, I'm going to be shifting your identity and we're going to or be in alignment with your identity, which we'll talk about more in a minute. These are all really, really big things on top of just like 2020 (laughs) as its own thing. So yeah, lots of big, exciting things. Can you tell our listeners who might not know what top surgery is, what that is, what that means, what that entails? Absolutely. So as a non-binary person, I don't love having breasts. And so I'm having a a bilateral mastectomy and completely removing my breast at the end of the month. And can you tell us a little bit about, is this something that you have been thinking about for a long time? Is this something, is this new on your, in your thought process? Tell us a little bit about how you got to this decision. Definitely not new. So the decision came very, very slowly. I waffled back and forth about whether I wanted to get top surgery for probably over four years. A few years ago, I remember that I got a genetics test done to check for the BRCA gene, which is the gene that causes breast cancer, Mm -hmm. just because I'm adopted, side note, and I didn't know. 
So I was actually kind of hoping that I would have it because it would give me a, a quote unquote legitimate medical reason to get a bilateral mastectomy. And I was a little disappointed that I didn't have it, which is kind of ridiculous, I know. But what a great indication that's like when you're hoping to have a gene in order to have this a surgery like this, that's a pretty good indication that maybe that's something you should look more into. Yeah, it was a bit of a clue, if you will. I also remember around that time, so about four years ago, I got a giant chest piece tattoo at a tattoo convention. And I remember making that decision and saying to myself, well, now I'm making the decision that I'm not going to have top surgery because I don't want my tattoo to get messed up. Mm. And I felt a sense of relief at having made that decision. But my brain definitely would not let me put it down. So I, after that, it I very slowly started, you know, it would come into my brain for a little while and then it would kind of go away and then it would come back. And I spent a lot of time kind of just mentally making this pro con list in my head of, you know, do I want top surgery? Do I not? And this year, finally in 2020, the only thing that was left on my do not get surgery list was, well, this is the body that you've always had mm. and you're used to it. And that wasn't a good enough reason. So powerful. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we're going to come back to this because I know it's going to tie into other things that we talk about. So I want to step back a little bit. You mentioned that you're adopted. And I recently learned, it's funny how you, you know, you have a few conversations with someone and you feel like you know them. Well, I learned listening to you on someone else's podcast in an interview that you have this really fascinating, dynamic family background. So on top of being adopted, there's some other things that make your family and your upbringing really unique. Can you talk a little bit about your family of origin and tell us about the family you grew up in? Yes, I can. And it is a strange and windy tale. <laughs> so, so I grew up in rural Louisiana with my parents. I also had cowboy grandparents in West Texas. And my family is a family of fundamentalist Christian missionary puppeteers, which is a lot of adjectives. <laughs> and they go together so well. <laughs> yeah. In a very strange way. So I grew up in a very, very unique household. We went full time on the road when I was about 12. We sold our house. I lived in motels for about a year. After that, I had a short stint where I lived in a race car trailer, which was interesting and not great. And then we majorly upgraded to a motorhome and traveled all over the U.S. and some in Central America. I was with them full time doing that for about five years. Um, they still do that. They just retired this past year. Wow. Were you adopted at birth? I was. I was about a week old. And did you have many? I know, if I recall, you have some siblings as well. I don't have any siblings from my adopted family. Oh, I thought you did. Okay. The whole other story we could get into. But in the past two years, I found my biological family and I do have a, a half sister that I'm in contact with and a couple of half brothers that I'm not. Okay. Oh my goodness. So interesting. Yeah. In my mind, there was many children in this puppeteer family. <laughs> you know, you'd think, but no, just me. Maybe that's just the image I have of puppeteer families. <laughs> you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. 
I'm imagining the scene from The Sound of Music when they put on the puppet show, which was like one of my favorite movie scenes growing up. And I always disappointed that I didn't have more siblings so that we couldn't be puppeteers together. So when I picture your puppeteer family, I'm like, that is what it looks like. Yeah. You know, I think that's a solid conclusion. But nope, just me, which, you know, when we lived in a race car trailer in a motorhome, I was very grateful for. Yeah. So what is your tell us a little bit about growing up in that environment? It's unique in so many ways. How has it informed your identity? And I mean, you can answer that in terms of any identities that you would like to share around that not just gender identity, but I would imagine there's been some big impact. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the pros of growing up in such a strange environment is that I got to travel all over the US. I was exposed to people in all the regions of the US, met lots of different kinds of people, also got a lot of an opportunity to travel in Central America, which I think really informed a lot of who I am today definitely have that travel bug still in me. Mm -hmm. So I am really grateful for all of that. I was also homeschooled during that time, as you can imagine. So I was able to graduate high school at 16, which meant that I went to college early at 17. Also grateful to kind of get that head start a little bit. On the other side of it, though, it was really challenging. You know, I was uprooted when I was 11, 12 years old. We moved every four days. So it was pretty difficult to make friends and to have any sort of friend support system. So I had a couple of close people and that was kind of it. And at the time, I I wasn't out as queer or non-binary, but I did know that there was something that felt a little different about me. And my relationship with my parents during that time was okay, but also strained. And as I've gotten older and I've really leaned into who I am as a queer person, as a non-binary person, as someone who doesn't identify as a Christian anymore, that relationship has gotten more and more strained. And it is really a consistent challenge in my life, quite honestly, right now. Because of that, I mean, I can imagine having parents who are evangelical Christians, there would be a lot of potential for fear around what you may have been experiencing in connection with your own gender identity. And then so just in fear around what you're actually thinking and feeling, and then also fear around if and when and how to have any conversations around that. Yeah, I think I was pretty deep in repression when I was a teenager. So I don't think I really started understanding more about who I was until I got to college. And even then, it was a slow, slow discovery of myself. Mm -hmm. And by the time I came into a little bit more of who I was, I already had a really good support system around me. So I naturally found myself drawn to the theater kids on campus, which also happened to be the only gay kids on campus. Mm -hmm. And so I already had a lot of that support, which I think was really helpful when I did start coming out. But when I was living with my parents, you know, it was survival in a different sense. I was pretty isolated. My dad in particular is our relationship is very challenging. And so I was navigating that and just kind of shoving a lot of who I was down, but also expressing myself 
as different in the ways that I could, which meant a little goth punk rock kid who only wore band shirts and listened to music that my parents didn't understand and was counterculture in the only ways that I think I understood that I could be at that point. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, it's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Looking back, I think it was definitely a way of me trying to get a little bit of independence and understand myself a bit more. 
Yeah, I was actually, that was part of my follow-up question was going to be when you choose to kind of follow that path of I'm going to dress in this rock band, t-shirts, goth look, that gives you that permission to really strip some of our gender roles and appearances and stereotypes out of the way that you were showing up. And so did, did that kind of feel like a safe way to express yourself without having to dive more deeply into who you potentially were, were thinking you might be? Yeah, I think so. I think it surrounded me with people that were maybe a bit more progressive. It allowed me to express myself as different and show that without expressing myself in a way that that at the time would have been dangerous to me. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say, like very potentially very high risk. Yes, very, very high risk. It would not have been a safe environment for me to come out in at all. Can you tell us about your gender journey, which you've kind of which you've already started and what that has looked like from this place of being a teenager and starting to have a sense of wanting to share your identity in different ways and then coming into recognizing more completely that you were queer and then non-binary? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, it's been a very slow evolution for me. I think I had to work through a lot of unlearning of the fundamentalist religious background that I was brought up in, which took a long time to unwind for me. So first I came out as bi and then that expanded to where I really started identifying as queer probably about 11 years ago, something like that. And then over the past four to five years, my gender identity has come more to the forefront of my exploration of who I was. So I identify as non-binary. I use they, them pronouns. And what that means is that when I was born, I was assigned female and I grew up and I really didn't feel like that fit, but I know that I don't identify as a man or a trans man and I identify somewhere solidly in the middle. And I've spent my entire professional career as a therapist working with queer and trans people. And I think that also allowed me space to explore my own identity in conjunction with the work that I was doing professionally. So I think probably about four or five years ago, I started kind of questioning if my gender was a bit more expansive than I had thought. And the way that I like to describe it is it felt like I was wearing a shoe that was a size too small. So I could walk around in this female identity. It felt pretty good. Like I was very functional in it. There were parts of it that I really enjoyed and still do, but it felt really limiting and constraining. And if you've ever worn a shoe that was a size too small for a while, you start getting blisters and it starts becoming more and more uncomfortable as you continue to walk in them. And I started noticing that my assigned gender as female was more and more uncomfortable the more that I understood about myself. And so a non-binary identity for me feels just like a much more expansive gender identity and a shoe that I can actually walk around in comfortably. I love that example. And I've heard you share that one other time. And I thought it was so helpful because we, well, I don't know if everyone's had this experience, but 
I have always had big feet <laughs> and for my entire youth was trying to like downplay like, no, I can wear a size nine. And I was like, always a size 10. Right. And so that sense and this is it's this sounds so silly, but it this is why the analogy um, resonates with me to put on a size 10 and have it actually fit is a real big relief when you've had blisters for a long time trying to cram into a size nine. So this example really resonates with me. And I imagine on you know this much more profound level when we're talking gender identity to quote unquote put on a shoe that fits there must be tremendous spaciousness and like you said expansiveness and relief in that like an exhale absolutely and i think in your example if you've never worn a size 10 shoe and you've only worn size 9 and suddenly you put on a size 10 shoe it is a revelation you didn't know that you could feel that good and that is what a non-binary identity feels like to me is I didn't know that I could have this much spaciousness and freedom and relief and expansiveness in my life before I started taking steps to expand my gender, which also happened pretty slow for me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm also really intrigued by these parallel journeys of you being therapist and having a practice being in service to the LGBTQ plus community, and then being on your own personal journey. And I went to school, I have my major in sociology, my minor in psychology, I worked in a psych hospital as my first career. And we always joked that like anyone who majors in psychology, it's because we were just trying to find our own answers. <laughs> and so yeah. I think it's really interesting that there's these parallels. And I'm curious if you were was there any consciousness around picking this career path and knowing that it was connected to who you were and who you were becoming in such a significant way? Well, I went to undergrad at this tiny little liberal arts Christian college in East Texas. And like I said, all of my friends were the theater kids. They were the gay kids on campus. And I watched them go through what it was like to explore their identity, come out at least as much as they could in a super oppressive environment. And so I decided at that point, still identifying as a straight and a cis person, that I wanted to work with LGBTQ folks because I wanted to help people like my friends. And I think as I like very quickly started getting into that, I had a sense of my own expansiveness of my sexual orientation, which started with identifying as bi. And this doesn't happen for everybody, but for me, it then expanded beyond that. So I think there was a, a little bit of something in the back of my head that had a, a knowing, a, a gut sense of these are my people, but I don't think I knew how or why at that point. Super interesting. I think what a gift that ended up being that you were in service to, like you had this knowledge and education and support around you and that you could see other people's experiences and stories play out. And that must have created some peace and safety for you as you started to figure things out for yourself. Yeah, I think I have been very lucky and I'm very grateful that my journey into my sexual orientation and into my gender identity has been full of a lot of ease. Mm -hmm. Not when it comes to my family, but every other area of my life, it has felt pretty easy and I haven't gotten pushback and I've always had 
support around me. And I know that that's not everybody's story. And I'm incredibly grateful that it's mine. Yeah, that was my next, my follow up question was around your family. And I guess, so two questions. So what has it been like with your family? And then also, I'm imagining people listening to this thinking, maybe having some ahas about themselves, or maybe already who already knew some things about themselves. But now they're thinking, I wonder what this could look like for me to share myself more completely with the rest of the world. And what do you say to someone who is in that position of being fearful of a family, their family not being supportive, and maybe not having some of the support outside their family that you had? Yeah, this is a a huge topic and something that everybody has to deal with, whether they have a, a supportive family or not. So quite honestly, I have not come out as non-binary to my family. Mm. I'm out as queer to them. And that did not go well mm. uh, and continues to not go well. And this is something I talk about a lot in my work is authenticity. And what does it mean to be authentically you? And being out in every single context of your life might not always be the most authentic and certainly not the safest thing. So for me, I knew that my family's reaction would not be good. They wouldn't understand. It would further distance us and create more problems. And they're just not in a place where they are open to understanding. And so for me, I put my personal safety first and have not had the conversation with them about my non-binary identity, even though they know that I'm queer. So what I would say to somebody who is fearful of how a family might respond is, number one, you have to take your safety into account. And by safety, I mean some pretty basic things like housing, financial support, if somebody is in, say, college or are needing family support in terms of paying for college, paying for something to do with child support, just need that, you have to put that first because those are real needs. And then thinking about emotional safety, I think you have to ask yourself, is it worth it to come out to my family right now, given how you anticipate that they respond? And maybe the answer is yes, and that is your truth, and that is the most authentic thing for you. And maybe the answer is no. And there's no judgment on either side of that. You know, for me, it is a constant negotiation of what feels like the most authentic thing for me in this moment. And is it speaking my truth no matter how they're going to respond? And sometimes that answer is yes. Or is it keeping myself safe by keeping things a little bit more peaceful and pleasant so that I can get through you know, the three days a year that I spend with them. And sometimes the answer is, yeah, that's what I need to do. That's a really important way to frame all of that. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is that not everyone's invited to your most inner circle. Yep. And like, there's only a handful of spots reserved there and you get to choose who gets those seats. And it's a privilege to be there. And I so appreciate that you can connect this to safety because that's really legitimate. And so to have that discernment around who gets to be in that inner circle, who gets to see all of the parts of you, that's not necessarily everyone, or it might not be the people that would be 
you know, that people would assume would be the automatic people. So like parents, for example, or siblings, I think that's really important that we have permission to be discerning around that. Yeah, absolutely. And I've spent a lot of time and a lot of energy developing a really strong circle of chosen family. And those are the people that get to see all those pieces of me. So important. And I think as we age, we have more opportunities to do that. You know, I'm thinking back to you on the road with this little tiny family in the race car and trailer and not so much opportunity to create that own chosen family. But absolutely, as adults, we do get to choose. And there is there can be um, definitely additional layers of safety there and layers of freedom and liberation there as well, which I think is so important. A hundred percent. I want to talk a little bit about, can you talk about gender existing on the spectrum or how use terms that I might be flubbing up right now? Because this is something that I think there's people in my life who maybe don't have awareness around this, people in my personal life. And I'm guessing that many of our listeners might be unfamiliar with this as well. And I think that learning about gender on a spectrum is something I've just been learning about more recently in the last 18 months or so, but it's been really, really eye-opening to me. And I also think in the context of, so I'm in Seattle, which is so progressive, Mm -hmm. but what's been fascinating to me is in the last couple of years, I've had many friends, connections who are parents who have had children of all ages, as young as like four years old, um, and then into teens come out in different places on a gender spectrum. And it's been fascinating to watch. And I think there's just so much space for education and conversation around this so that we all have a better sense of what this can look like and that it's not like weird, scary, something to be panicked about. So can you talk about gender spectrum? Absolutely. So when we're talking about the gender spectrum, we have to think about it on three levels. So we have to think about biology, which we call the sex assigned at birth. So someone is born, they pop out of a human and the doctor says, it's a boy or it's a girl. And if we start on that level, the thing that I find the most helpful to think about is that the number of people who are intersex or have differences of sexual development, that is, they don't fit into that checkbox of male or female assigned at birth due to either genital appearance, your endocrine system, your hormones, or your chromosomes are roughly the amount of people in the world who have red hair. I just recently heard this analogy. And as a redhead, that was very, I was like, oh, I can like connect to that comparison. Like there's a lot of redheads. I'm very aware of them. And so that's fascinating data. It really is. And I think anybody who is a redhead or knows a redhead, which I would say is probably the majority of humans, it would feel very, very strange if we created a taxonomy of hair colors and we left out redheads because there's not enough of them or they aren't as important. That would feel strange because it's just not accurate. But what we know now based on science is that the spectrum of biology when it comes to assigned sex at birth is just as diverse as, say, the hair color taxonomy. There are people who their bodies reflect a spectrum of identities instead of just these checkboxes of male or female. So the basis of what we're talking about 
is not that there are two checkboxes and people just identify somewhere in the middle. It's that there aren't checkboxes, that biology is much, much more expansive than we originally thought. And so it makes sense that gender, which is that next level, is also expansive. And what gender is, is that felt sense of who you are on the inside. Does it feel like when the doctor says it's a girl and you pop out of the womb, does that identity still feel like it reflects who you are? If the answer is yes, then you are cis, which is not a dirty word. It's just a Latin prefix that means on the same side of. So you were assigned female at birth. You still identify as female. You are cisgender. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earnin today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where, as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. On the other hand, if you pop out of the womb, 
the doctor says, it's a girl, and you grow up and say, no, that doesn't really feel like it fits, then you are transgender, which is a Latin prefix, trans, meaning on the other side of. And that identity can be, well, you know, the doctor assigned me female at birth, and now I identify as a man, which is all the way on one end of the spectrum. Or it can be like me, who says, you know, female doesn't really fit, but neither does male. And I identify solidly in the middle of that spectrum. And then the third level that we're talking about is gender expression, which is simply how you choose to express your gender to the world. And that can look like what society says is congruent with the sex you were assigned at birth and your gender identity or not. Like you can be a cisgender woman. So you were assigned female at birth. You still identify as a woman, but you present yourself on the more masculine side of things or it can be vice versa. I think there's so much room to play with gender expression that is really limiting in the society that we have now that says that our gender, quote unquote, should be expressed in a particular way. So is that all making sense? Yes. So helpful. Okay. So the three levels are biology, gender expression. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. And then I have a follow-up comment. I am so glad. This is a question that I actually have had in my mind for the last few weeks. So I had this total misconception that trans could only mean opposites. So like if you were transgender, it means you were born female and expressed male or the opposite. I didn't recognize that if you're born female and identify as non-binary, that that is also trans. I thought that trans was like just the two very ends of the spectrum. Um, So that is a little bit of knowledge that I just gained today, (laughs) which I appreciate. Absolutely. And yeah, we think of the term trans as an umbrella term. So anybody that does not identify as cis identifies under the trans umbrella. Now, some people who are non-binary, they don't really resonate with the term transgender. And so they don't claim that for themselves as their own identity, but other people do. And that's a good point too, that like people get to pick (laughs) and to like give people the freedom to do that. And I think that we like to assign things to people. It makes us all feel real comfortable if we can put people in certain boxes and check boxes and like things, we can make things familiar and controlled. And so I totally appreciate that you point out that someone might not identify themselves as trans and that they get to choose that or not. And that's on them. And it's not up for anyone else to like no one else deserves an opinion on it. Yeah. You know, the thing about labels is that they are only useful when you apply them to yourself and listen to how other people label themselves. And we use those terms. Yeah. And that's kind of it. Yeah. So we've talked about parenting LGBTQ kids on the show in the past, but we haven't talked about adults who might be expanding and evolving and how they see their own gender and their sexual identity. And I I'm increasingly aware of adults who are questioning their gender and sexuality and have for, in many cases, a really long time, but there hasn't been this space in the world to do that safely. And I think that there's sh- things shifting. I would like to think that things are shifting. So do you think that society overall is giving people more permission and space to question and experience gender and sexuality on a fuller spectrum? I do. You know, we're having more celebrities who are coming out as trans. Mm -hmm. You know, we're at the end of 2020 when we're recording this and Elliot Page just came out a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. 
And we have trans people who are becoming celebrities and becoming influencers and more well-known. So I believe that the societal conversation is changing and folks have a bit more permission and certainly more information to explore and expand their gender. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I think, you know, there was a situation that happened when I was in high school with a parent being trans. And I remember it being like, well, first of all, I went to a Catholic high school. So that added a layer to it for sure. That is certainly a layer. But I just remember it being this like shock and awe thing. Like, how could that be? And like, it was just this. And it was and now looking back, I'm like this poor family because people were so curious and shocked and just completely uneducated. And it's fascinating to me now. And what I thought I remember at the time thinking, and I remember having conversations with my mom, like making these assumptions that if someone was trans, they would have this lifestyle that was just like wild and crazy and just so unrelatable. And now I'm like, oh, like trans people just live regular lives. <laughs> it's there's they do the same things we do every day. It's not the same things I do every day. Like it's not a totally different world and universe. Of course, there's definitely unique challenges and unique situations as anyone would have with their identity. But it's interesting how I think our perceptions have changed. And with people like Elliot coming out with people like Laverne Cox, with people like Caitlyn Jenner, I mean, for better or worse, <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner, but people who um, have a high level of familiarity in, in pop culture. I think that has really shifted us just seeing that there's trans people among us, and they're not that different than us. And they're just regular people. Yep. And I have worked with so many people who come out later in life, who maybe waited until their kids were grown or, or for whatever reason, didn't come out or really understand their identity till their 40s, 50s, 60s. And I think what they're discovering is that they just have wanted to live. That's really their desire is to just transition, be who they really are, and then just live their lives. And that's really all they want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask you a question about actually two questions about pronouns. So we have a mutual friend, Trudy LeBron, and she, when we were all in a Facebook group together a while ago, she made this great post that was like, stop telling people you want to know their preferred pronoun. Like all these people who were trying to be really sensitive were like, oh, I'm going to on these forms, I'll put what are your preferred pronouns. And she was like, it's not a preferred pronoun. It's just what are your pronouns? Like this isn't a preference. I'm not picking if I want like mustard or ketchup with my fries. It's who I am. And I thought that was eye opening to me. So can you talk a little bit about that piece there? And then also, can you talk about pronouns and use of pronouns and how significant that is. Because what I've heard from mostly middle-aged white people, cisgender white people is like, oh, it's just so confusing and so hard. And like, there's a lot of dismissiveness that comes with that. And can you talk about why that's so can potentially be so damaging? Absolutely. So I think Trudy really nailed it. If you're going to talk about pronouns, which I do think people need to be asking about, then just call them pronouns. There's no need to put the preferred on it. And asking for everybody is also important. So if you have an opportunity to learn somebody's pronouns, it goes a long way to just ask about that. So I use they, them pronouns. And the reason that I do that is 
because he or she don't feel like they fully encompass my gender identity. And we, in the English language, we don't really have a lot of alternatives for gender neutral language. So they, them is the easiest alternative that is already in use in our language. There are also other options that people are creating for gender neutral pronouns in English and in other languages too, but I know less about those. So I'm only going to speak about the English language right now. I think the important thing to remember is that language always has and will continue to shift and change and evolve. That's why we don't say thou anymore. You know, right. we have evolved beyond that. And I think for people that think that in particular, they, them pronouns are really difficult. My guess is that they might be overthinking it a little bit because most people will naturally use they, them pronouns in their life, not in relation to trans people without even realizing that they're doing it. So it's very common to have somebody say, you know, I ran into Sally at the store the other day. They said that their family's doing great. Right. And that's something that we don't even think about. But suddenly you ask people to really consider using they, them pronouns and their tongues aren't quite used to it as easy as he or she. And so it feels like a struggle. But really all it is is practice. And you can practice by just using that term in everyday language, just like I did with the Sally example, um, repeating it to yourself over and over. And soon enough, like any language shift, which I'm sure everybody listening has had some of that in their life, then it just gets easier and more uh, automatic. And those neural pathways are formed. And then you just don't really have to think about it anymore. But getting those pronouns right for somebody goes so, so far in supporting a trans or non-binary individual because it really says that you are making the effort to affirm who they are. And if you're misgendering them, which is a term that means that you have used a gender to refer to them that it is not their gender, it feels really dismissive at the low end. And can feel really dysphoric or really distressing on the other end of it and really just take somebody out of the moment. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And it seems like it could almost, depending on the situation, could almost seem like potentially like a violent denial of someone, of who someone might be. Absolutely. Pronouns and names that people choose for themselves those are things that get weaponized by people who are intentionally mm -hmm. trying to dismiss a trans identity. And that certainly happens. There are also a lot of people who just get it wrong accidentally or they make a mistake. And that is totally normal. But if you can imagine as a cis person walking around and let's say you're a cisgender female and your name is Jill. And everywhere you go as Jill, people call you John and use the pronoun he. Now, as a cis person, maybe that would just be mildly annoying. 
but it's something that you would really notice and would start building up and building up. I feel like it would be very maddening over time. <laughs> yeah, it gets old really quick. And it also is a microaggression. So someone is intentionally disavowing who you are. And it doesn't take much effort on the part of somebody to use a correct name or the correct pronoun. And it can go a really, really long way in supporting a trans person's mental health. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. I think that's really important. So your mission is to help trans non-binary questioning folks transition with more ease and less suffering. Can you talk a little bit about why you're so passionate about this and why it's so important? And then also tell us about, so you have, this is my explicit language warning right here, but you have a membership community called Genderfuck, which I love the name, love, love, love. So tell us about that as well. Yeah. So I think it's really important to do the work that I'm doing to help trans people transition with less suffering and more ease because there is this really ubiquitous narrative that being trans and going through a gender transition has to equal suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think we've had that narrative because it is true for a lot of people. We know that society does not support trans people in the way that it needs to, that it puts up lots of barriers. We know that there's a really high rate of violence against trans individuals, in particular trans women of color. And we know that there is a really high suicide rate for trans individuals. Mm -hmm. So there is suffering in that story. And that's not the full story. And I don't think it has to be that way. And it's certainly not everyone's story. So I think where we've gotten as a society is that suffering is seen as the main connecting factor for trans people and is expected as part of the transition process. And the thing that the majority of research is done on is, you know, let's talk about all the ways that trans people suffer. But I think there's a better way and a way that we can support the mental and physical health of trans people, both as medical and mental health professionals and as society as a whole. So a lot of my work is focused on shifting that narrative to frame gender transition as something that's meant to be celebrated the same way that we celebrate getting married, having a baby or any other exciting life transition. I also think that a lot of the suffering, the anxiety, the self-doubt that trans folks experience during transition is avoidable if they have the right tools and the right support. And that's what my work with Genderfuck is all about. I love it. So good. Okay. Last question before I ask you to give us all the resources where we can find you and connect with you. I want to know how you are currently showing up as a shameless leader. Ooh, that's a great question. <laughs> so I am shamelessly taking time off from my business for surgery and have told my admin team to not contact me unless someone is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> So that's a big way that I am trying to model and show up as a leader to my team that self-care and taking that time off is really important. I'm also in the process of writing a book proposal, like I said earlier, even though this is a puke goal for me. <laughs> it means that I've wanted to write a book since I was a kid. It's a huge like top five lifelong dream. 
which means that it brings up so much imposter syndrome and hits on all my anxiety buttons and is probably one of the biggest challenges that I will take on in my life. And I'm doing it anyway, even though it scares me. Yes, I love it. Okay, so two things on that. First of all, I'm so excited for everything that's coming up for you because the things that you just mentioned around like how you're showing up as a shameless leader, I think are the things that are going to make 2021 just this landmark year for you. I'm so excited to hear more about how the surgery goes and just how you feel on the other side of that. I think it's going to be really, really cool and really amazing. And then this book, oh my goodness. So you're coming back on the show. We already decided. We've already talked about it. You're coming back on the show to talk about the book when the book is done. So now you have to do it because we're all counting on you. Awesome. I'll be here. What a huge goal. I can't wait to learn more about the book and to dive into it myself. I think it's going to be so transformational for so many people. Okay. So thank you. Thank you for everything you've brought to this conversation, because I know this has been really valuable in people's learning experiences and educational experiences. But I also think that I'm guessing there's a number of people listening who you've given permission for them to step a little bit more into parts of their identity that maybe they have been a little uncomfortable around or had maybe just felt not quite safe around yet. And you've given them that permission to lean in and get a little more curious. And I think that's so, so important. So tell people where they can find you, connect with you, connect with the Genderfuck Club, all of the good stuff. Absolutely. So if people are interested in Genderfuck the Club, which is my group coaching community of trans, non-binary, gender questioning folks who are all doing the work to transition their gender with more of a sense of ease, joy, and a focus on self-growth, you can check that out at you because we are polite, dot club. So that's genderfuckknowyou.club. Or you can find me on all of the social medias, in particular on Instagram and on Facebook, at Practical Audacity. And if you're interested in my one-on-one therapy services with my team, you can check that out at practicalaudacity.com. Awesome. So we'll have all that linked up in the show notes. If you go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Ray McDaniel, you'll find everything. Oh my goodness, Ray, thank you so much for coming in, for having this conversation, for being a shameless leader. I just admire you tremendously and I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. It's so significant. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. 
Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.